when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, everybody. Austin here. I just wanted to give you a quick content warning for minutes 52 through 54 of the podcast today. Uh, we were talking about games and labor and studio closures, and as part of that discussion, we bring up the recent previews of Red Dead Redemption 2, including a comment in Kotaku about the game's inclusion of some horse genitalia uh, and the detail therein um, and, and the kind of production f- resources and focuses uh, that, that go into producing something like that. Um, and then again, at the very end of the podcast, uh, it comes back up. Uh, so if that doesn't sound like your sort of thing, which is totally fine, go ahead and skip minutes 52 to 54 uh, and then maybe maybe stop the podcast just before the end. And just as I'm throwing to the outro. All right, everybody. Thanks. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, September 24th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 189. I'm your host, Austin Walker. The world is on fire. And joining me today, Patrick Klepik. Hello. Natalie Watson. Hi, hi. And Rob Zachney. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing today on this fine, super busy, newsy Monday morning? I don't know. Morning? Ask me in 15 minutes when there's another update. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And instead, I'll talk to you about video games. That way we get a little bit of a break. Uh-huh. We can we can retreat from the world of... Oh, sorry, uh, I've just been handed a piece of paper, and it says that the world of video games is on fire also. <laughs> Unfortunately. Great. Um, yeah, I don't want to beat around the bush. Uh, I think it, it's it's important that we have a conversation about some of the uh, the actions of, of last week regarding studio closures. Um, Capcom Vancouver closed early last week, uh, I think midweek actually, um, and then uh, Telltale uh, basically closed up shop on Friday afternoon. Um, there were 225 employees let go of, of a of a total of 250. Is that is that right? Anybody have that? More, that yeah, more or less. There, I, there, yeah, it was a roughly 300 person company, which 25 people okay. are left behind to Jesus. Kind of, uh, I, I think, it, it, as it was put, like uh, uh, the things that are required for shareholders and like the board of directors. Right, which shook out to mean something that had to do partially with with presumably with IP and stuff, but also to do with like the Netflix Minecraft thing that was happening. Um, but what that meant at the high level is projects that were announced, like the Stranger Things project, are not happening. Um, the last, the, right, the last season of The Walking Dead, which, uh, whose also, second episode comes out tomorrow. Right, and and actually, the most important thing is is uh, what it means is that two hundred and seventy five odd people or, or whatever are out of work, um, and that this hit them out of the blue, or uh, at least it, it hit most of them out of the blue, as far as I know, um, and it it has provided a lot of insight into, I think, the situation of precarity that so many workers in the games industry live in day in day out. A lot of these people have come out and 
have it's almost as if the the burden of not talking about how shitty your work life has been was lifted and and we've heard so many stories from people now who are saying things like yeah we worked 50 to 70 hours a week and also sometimes we crunched and like yikes that is if you're framing 50 to 70 hours as non-crunch work um, that speaks to a sort of state of uh, of play that is uh, uh, unsustainable and unhealthy, um, or or actually maybe the actual the thing that I keep coming back to is like actually it's been very sustainable, just not for the workers, but absolutely for companies. Mm. Um, so let's I just like we should talk through what happened and then just like I, I just want to f- feel out where where y'all are at on this stuff. Mm. Um, Patrick, do you want to just is there any other high level stuff that I've kind of left out about about the the week we had last week? Uh, I mean, look, one of the, you know, uh, clarifying things or what makes the, the Telltale situation even worse is there has been, I, I have not done my own reporting on this, but there's been others reporting that yeah. uh, folks were not uh, given any sort of severance as um, a part of the, the Telltale layoffs. Like often um, when these mass layoffs happen, even when they're, they're closures, um, you know, people are given some measure of financial assistance so that yeah. they have a cushion in between uh, finding another job. Um, because even let's... Let, even if uh, that cushion is only, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, you have to remember if you were to sign a job the next day, um, those paychecks don't show up the next day. Um, you know, it right. can take several weeks to a month to get into a system. Um, you know, it's it's the severance is as much as about providing stability as much as like a, you know, a, a, a runway towards whatever the next job may be if you're fortunate enough to transition to one. And so the fact that there was no severance speaks to, the fiscal like irresponsibility that was happening at Telltale where it's, look, lots of companies close. Sometimes things don't sell. Things go poorly. That is just the nature of the beast in video games as uh, competitive as they are these days, right? Like it's never been harder to sell a game and it's never been more expensive to make them in a lot of ways, um, Mm -hmm. at least in the traditional models that have been adopted. Um, You know, the fact that when you're laying off majority of the company and you can't offer them severance, speaks to and this requires no reporting speaks to like gross irresponsibility gross right. negligence lying um like you you've done you're giving nothing to the people that gave everything to a company that certainly did not deserve it and yet even despite that had a, a very uh a, you know not enough to sustain the company obviously but like there was a lot of love for telltale like there are closures like the response to capcom vancouver closing and capcom and Telltale closing were two different things. Like, they, like people losing their job is bad no matter how you slice it. But, like, people had a sense of, of warmth with Telltale um, because of the kinds of games they made. And the fact that the Capcom Vancouver people are seemingly going to have a little bit more of uh, uh, backing as they figure out their next steps. And Telltale yeah. people are just out there living in San Francisco, um, <laughs> you know, with that. Where Latin- it is super expensive. Yes. Yeah, it's it's. I just want to. I just want to draw a distinction where it's like some something is routine but bad, and this is not routine but bad. This is gross negligence in which the kind of, right. the fact that these people are not going to be held to, to responsible be, in any meaningful way is like just deeply frustrating. To be explicit, the reason that you're saying that this is negligence is that if you were in a position, if you were in the sort of position where you are going to close down your studio, you were in the sort of position that in which you know you are going to have to close down your studio at some point soon and to take that action before, at the point at which you can still offer severance. Whereas here, the way it reads, and this is me speculating, mm-hmm. is that the people who are in charge of the books there, the people who have to make that sort of decision, 
were kind of hoping that Walking Dead Season 4 would blow up in such a way that they would get enough money to balloon the structure and actually keep people employed and keep the studio open. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happened. And that's not a sustainable way to run a business. And it actually puts more risk on your employees' heads than it does on your own in, in a way that is, like you said, I think, I think fairly negligent. Natalie, did you have uh, something to add there? No, just just uh, you know, I think that your tweet earlier this morning spoke a lot to that, <laughs> uh, uh, where you said that, um, you know, if if budgets aren't being uh, put in place in advance to kind of support the kind of possible potential risks and potential closeout or fallout from you know a game not being successful, then that company was not built in a way that is right. uh sustainable or or th that 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 budget was just not a real budget like that 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 whatever those numbers were <laughs> right. were like false numbers because they don't account for you know things that are necessary or that should be necessary in a company uh uh like you know protecting your workers and things like that but you know companies well, it's like it's one of those things where this is companies be companies. Yeah, totally. Well, the, the thing, like if you don't have to protect your workers because there's nothing forced, like you protect your workers because it's the right thing to do. Like that's what this existing structure in the video game industry is. It's like the reason you give people severance is because that's what like a fucking morally, human should do. It, yeah. it's, it is morally, ethically the right thing to do. Well, there is not there is no law that like requires you to offer severance. And so the lack of severance like, you know, and we'll get into this in, like, you know, you know, the discussion that's happened this weekend over, like, radically rethinking how we structure the video industry and the consequences of that. Like, there's no reason f they don't have to do that. But the fact that they didn't says a lot about Telltale and the people who are running it um, and, you know, is and speaks very clearly to the lack of power that the people right. under them um, were, were and weren't able to exert. It speaks to the, the ways in which we cannot, as a society rely on the good intentions of those who have right like we cannot just say oh well people will be good and offer severance rich people the people who run these companies will run their companies such that they take care of the people who work for them we need to move into a situation in which those who are doing the work have uh, power in in the ability to negotiate as a group. Uh, in fact, the reason they're negotiating as they should be negotiating as a group is that will, is what will grant them the power to ensure that terms are put into place so that ahead of something like this happening, they can get a heads up so that they can uh, you know ensure that there will be some sort of severance package or some sort of buyout mm -hmm. plan, something. Um, and those things don't just come because, yes, there are cases in which because someone believes in being a good person, they will do that thing. But that is not a reliable way to act. It is not a reliable thing to count on. And it is not a way to structure an industry or to structure society. Like this is, we live in a society. We, yeah. and, and that society is not just a bunch of people talking in a circle. I mean, to some degree it is, which is to say it is just people, which means we can change things. We can remake the world in an image that we actually believe in and that, that supports our morals and our ideals. But to do that means taking steps to ensuring that those that the the right vo voices are heard, that there are uh, repercussions for not being uh, the the sort of person who takes care of your workers, mm -hmm. uh, and everything else that goes into that, you know. Yeah, I think the thing that uh, becomes so disturbing about this particular situation, and not to say that you know other uh, you know studio closures aren't disturbing, but like kind of what 
uh, y'all were saying earlier about the types of stories that Telltale was telling, that they were so deep, like, they were so deeply rooted in, like, humanity and, like, you know, uh, uh, grappling with, you know, questions of, of moral value and, and, and like, like just so deeply personal, um, the stories that were told, that the idea that that does not translate to, like, any sort of... Um, that the company itself would not have those same, would not be informed by the same, you know, stories that they're telling is so deeply disturbing to me, uh, just as a disconnect between, you know, create, well, you know, uh, publishers or developers or, you know, the, the ones, the, the business uh, putting right. out between creators and the actual product, like those right. three. Um, which, These are people who make stories about morality and about living a good life and, like, working in societies and communities and, mm -hmm. and all that. And then their games come out, and then this is how they're treated internally, right? Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, how Telltale makes the uh, only treatment of Batman, which the Waynes are depicted, is maybe these people fucking sucked. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't think it's unusual. Like, the people like making the games uh the people actually creating art are often not the ones authorizing checks to go out oh, on yeah. friday and of like I'm, I'm like when i hear about that i flash back to bioshock infinite which was like right. a legendarily high pressure project right. and there's a lot of like text in the game about boy like tough labor conditions and uh you know exploitation by management sure are terrible uh, but then the end of the story for uh, Irrational was, you know, right. albeit a very emotional, like what even what Telltale did is still worse than how things ended up at Irrational. But Irrational still ended up in a room where everyone is getting fired. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, this is th this is a very old story. Hearing all this, it's tough for me not to think about like. So some context i've never gotten severance from any position i've lost um, sure and i don't think i'm unusual in that i think that is the experience for 90 percent of people working jobs today is you're an at-will employee and at any moment you know that like your paycheck could just go the fuck away <laughs> uh no warning no severance no thank you uh you know probably if you had benefits they're cut off immediately maybe they'll get the cobra continuation but probably not for long and, and good luck just, paying that because yeah. Cobra, oh as someone who's been never paid Cobra before, before. <laughs> you think health insurance is expensive. Yeah, and so I, when I think about this, and I'm not, I'm not couching this in in a like, ah, you people don't know how good you have it, even to have that expectation. But I think there, there, like, there's a tendency for people to use that as a cudgel against people who've just suffered a misfortune like this. Well, hey, welcome to the rest of the world. You right. know, like now, now you're down here with everyone else. And the, the fact is like this isn't acceptable for anyone, but we talk about it more in these industries that are identified as like high skill. We, we respect the jobs. Yeah. Right. Um, we, yep. we view it as, as a skill and a craft and we expect like, well, surely these people deserve better. Everyone deserves better. Stuff like this stuns us because this is like the forest creeping forward of mistreatment and exploitation of workers, right? Like, oh, right. now this is happening to 
you know, people like this. To, Though this has been the status quo in games for a long time. Well, like, to, to your point, Rob, the thing that builds out of it is, like, when you are the person who's working, when I've been the person working retail, right, and, like, scraping by and having been laid off or having had to move because, you know, for a life situation or whatever – and, you know, I'm making minimum wage or making a little bit above minimum Hey, listen, they made me a key holder. Man, I'm, I'm making an extra buck an hour. Hell yeah, right? Um, you look at the jobs like the games industry and you go, oh, one day that'll be me. And when you see from those positions the games industry job, the, the you know, wherever the, the jobs that you do set up in your mind as being a high skill, you know, career and not just a job – when you see though when you see that same instability hit there there's a sort of shaking of the dream which is productive in that crisis can be productive again one of the things that's been great about this past weekend has been that those who were laid off have been able to be honest about what their experiences have been and it's led to a lot of incredible conversation around crunch culture and and instability and you know career you know uh, uh, de-skilling and all the stuff that is important to have a conversation about um but at the same time it's still frustrating right like it is still one of those things where it's like i do want there to be uh, a games industry where people have severance and where people are not working 50 to 70 hours a week and for me the more the two other really frustrating responses that, that i hear is one maybe the most frustrating is the like well why aren't they going to finish the game why don't oh they just finish it God. why don't they finish it why don't Did they you put see in that one that was like why do, if they truly loved it would they would just work for free yeah that is like such a common thing was that was like oh well modders do it yeah yeah well yeah motherfucker modders should also be able to get paid yeah like i yeah, remember like, the last time that someone tried yes. to do that it's the worst. It is. We had that episode about entitlement a, a couple of weeks ago. The, the Danielle led it on the Friday pod, and here we are again. Um, uh, but the second thing that that I, I hear a lot is, well, you can't you can't change it because like what would happen? Companies would close if you if you got rid of crunch everywhere. Companies would start to close if if every company had to pay a fair wage. You know they couldn't put out as many games, or the the price of games would have to would have to go up. And those are all conversations we should be having finally. Um, right. Please. I think there's something there's something right there I want to talk about. I was, I've been thinking about this ever since um, you saw like Nestle protesting Australia's anti-slavery Jesus law. Christ, yeah. And Nestle being like, you know, can you, can you explain what you, that is for people who who did not hear this because okay. it is wild. So I might be I might be misrepresenting the statute on the books in Australia or what's be, or what's be, or what's being proposed. But yes, uh, as I understand it, like. There is a law in Australia that basically tries to verify the slavery-free integrity of your production pipeline uh, so that any product sold on the shelves in Australia, you know when you buy it, nobody was, like, enslaved to produce it. Nobody was exploited in that way uh, to produce that good. And if a company is found to have violated that or not to, or to not have verified some of its suppliers and it turns out some of them are committing human rights abuses to like supply basic materials then there's penalties yeah nestle was going out there uh in the grand tradition of nestle and hu <laughs> uh, human rights laws uh nestle was basically like concern trolling this and saying like you know these penalties are a little too high and if we really like tighten the screws on this cost is going to be passed on to customers uh. And, like, that's obviously a bankrupt position. It's disgusting. But I think what, like, what really intrigued me there is I think there's this tendency in, uh, like, capitalist market economies to try to paint this picture as, of everyone as being somehow complicit 
yeah. in exploitation and abuse. Well, you know, you want, you, you know, you say you want environmental sensitivity, but you still like your fucking phones, don't you? You know, you say, you know, you say you're concerned about slavery, but like you still want the semi-sweet Toll House morsels to cost like two sixty nine, <laughs> right? And the answer is like, but that's that's kind of a false proposition because if you ask most people, what they would choose to do is be like. Look, I'll pay three fifty, five bucks, whatever, to not have the slavery toll house morsels, right? Like I will pay the extra charge uh, to make that happen. But what ends up happening is in a market, people buy less, right? You shifted the right. price, demand. You, you've you've changed where it intersects with demand, and that costs the company money. Yes, and so it's not like people are choosing like. You know, boy, I just, I just, well, some games, some, some gamers probably are like these people who are like, you should finish the game for free. Fuck you. Uh, there are people who are like that, but I think most people would take the position that like, no, people should get paid. Like people should be treated fairly. You're never given the option to express that. You're never allowed to like really vote with your dollar because there's a lot of effort, a la Nestle, in making sure you never get that choice, in making sure that they're allowed to construct a reality where, this product costs this much, and their business practices are totally unfucking affected, and they retain their marginal profit. And I've seen a lot of people online saying, like, you know, you can't make the argument that um, uh, game prices should go up because that's just passing the buck on to consumers, which I get for the reasons you kind of just laid out, Rob, which are like, you know, there are ways in which you can internally run the company so that the money that comes in from a purchase shakes out in a more equitable way to the to the uh developers um the people who are actually making games and and people in qa and and people in in you know office ops and everything else Mm -hmm. um but i i do think that it's important to have be able to have that conversation because in a more equitable world in a world where more game studios are co-ops right or are or in in small you know independently run game studios where there are like four or five or six people and they all you know they all own the company or whatever um we should be willing to think about what it actually costs to pay people to live well and to make games and the prices that we pay, we should be willing to have that conversation so that that number, if it needs to go up, you know, might have to go up. Uh, That shouldn't be off the table. I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, if we, if we want to put in, if we want to remake the world in such a way that major publishers stop, stop releasing six or seven or eight AAA titles a year and start releasing two or three, we should explore that world. We should be having the conversation that if major publishers should reduce down in size because it's not, it's not possible to sustain business without exploiting your workers, we should be willing to pursue that conversation. And it's not like that's a thing we can snap our fingers and that's the world we're in, but it's one of those things that's like whatever the space is between where we are now, where people who were working 50 to 70 hour weeks get laid off with no severance from a studio that had the Stranger Things IP, the Marvel IPs, DC IP, like who had... You know, and I'm not saying those games were all successful. But all, I, I all outside appearances, like this is a, a successful company that is was doing well and deals. is making money. Yes, yes, 100%. It's announcing new things. They were, uh, they got into a self-publishing thing where they were picking up indie games and like yes. helping usher them on PS4 and Xbox One, like and guiding them through that labyrinth. They had a press release go out the day of the closure about a game that they were helping some survival to game. To publish in some way, yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, like they had their hands in enough things that like they're part of the shock of Telltale was that Oh, it seemed, despite what we were hearing about the working conditions, it still seemed like it was a financially solvent company that was going to be able to keep 
making these. Like, why would you launch a new season, a final season, if you weren't going right. to find a way to finish it? Um, and so the whiplash on that is so stark because usually they are like Capcom Vancouver, not as not that surprising after Dead Rising Four, like a game that was not received very well, clearly didn't sell very well. The fact that the studio has closed is not the most shocking thing in the world because they followed an arc that is more in line with what we have come to understand when a studio winds down and right. troubled projects get canceled. Um, and additionally with Telltale, this was a company that had already signaled, oh, we're rebooting. Oh, we're doing, we've, we've realized that we've been doing things poorly on a num- in a number of fashions, uh, both of the forward-facing stuff, like the engine technology they were going to be using, which seemed like that was going to change in 2019. Right. Um, and I think it's, that's part of what makes it so, this one stings so much more, is the lies, the deceit. Like, I, I will not defend someone saying that people should come in and finish The Walking Dead uh, for free. <sighs> but as someone that truly loved that that first episode, has been invested in that series and Clementine as a character, uh, man, it bums me the fuck out to know that totally. those really talented people are not going to be able to, to finish telling that story and do not i mean they've already said that the only thing they're finishing is the new minecraft thing they're doing like don't get it in your head that there's just like episodes there that just need a little bit of polishing to be finished like i can't speak specific because i've not been authorized to do so but i can tell you like having heard enough about the state of where that season was like <laughs> right th- there was tremendous work that needed to be done on the back half um in order to have any like you would have to there's no, there's I mean, no spit you, polishing. Those, those about, episodes were not built. Think about the way the model works, right? The entire point of the episodic model is that you're able to start getting revenue in on early work so that you can fund the production of uh, of asset creation for the later episodes, right? It's like it's not like they're just sitting on it. It's not like it's a one-stage play where, like, all the sets are already designed. Like, you start releasing the game, it builds momentum, and while the first few episodes are coming out, you're still building out the, like... Uh, the sets that you need, the, the all the different assets, the characters. And this is how TV works. Like they, they built totally. this model based, like when when, yes. when you watch a television show that is, you know, well, these days we have the, oh, we drop a whole season at once. But traditionally, the way television has worked, especially for like 26, like 20 plus episode arcs in which like they're taking winter breaks, is like when you're, when that, that pilot or the, the, that season premiere airs, like you're mid-season shooting. Like that is a common model for how this stuff is built. Of course, you know, contrast to that is that in television, you know, they are unionized and, have, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, there, there is, like, despite the fact that there is high-stress situations that are occurring while the thing is still in production and yet still airing, you know, there are checks and balances put in place in television production that were not, so they adopted a model without actually adopting the model. So it's right. like the idea of starting a season and not finishing it all in one fell swoop, not, not necessarily, that, that could work, you know, conceivably, but they didn't adopt the checks and balances for the workers along the way. And that clearly led them astray in all sorts of ways. And, you know, it's, ah, it's, man. Mm. I think, so something for me, and that whole, like, they're signing deals until the buzzer, right? (sighs) There are, like, there are people who worked at the studio on Twitter who are saying there were offers going out basically until the last minute. Uh, Which really reminds me. had their first day starting, like, the, the, Monday following the announcement. Like, we had this happen at 38 Studios, <laughs> right? When yeah, they shut right. down. There right. had still been good faith offers going out from HR, who also were in the dark about this, uh, who thought, like, oh, we're still in a staffing up mode. But people in the company, and this is what, like, 
this is again why you need structures and organizations and institutions because like there are ways in which people of goodwill can operate without those things and make sure shit like this doesn't happen again the you know offering severance even though you're not like legally gun to your head obligated to right uh i have been through like companies that had uh, major layoffs. Shit, Vice has had major layoffs. Yeah, I was uh, here for them. Yeah, but like I was at another company where there were uh, significant layoffs, and like leadership kind of put the word out in advance. Like, look, mm-hmm. I don't want you to be surprised by this. Like, it was in the wind. People knew. Like, look, maybe don't like interview people for this job right now because that position might be getting, you know, closed off in the new in, in the next quarter. Like, there are ways to put that out there. People know. If you don't put that out there, then you deliberately obscured that reality, right? You did not give people a heads up, like, this is not the time to be, like, sending out offer sheets. This is not the time. Like, you buried all of that. So, like, that's the other thing that makes this particularly egregious is you don't just wake up one morning and discover you're in this situation. You know what I mean? Like, there's people who, like, like, know the books and know what the state of play is. And make decisions based on that. What it sounds like, like, my question is, did anyone at the company have the ability to know what the score was? Or is this a decision being made by, like, stakeholders who just one morning had enough? Okay, I I think that this is good. I think you're, you're... 100% like I think what's firing for you right now and I love it is the Rob Zachney who I know has been doing lots of reporting about the state of independent game studios and you're like what is the story here what fucking happened but there was a deeper thing here which is what if we lived in the other world the world where The Walking Dead season 4 comes out it gets published and those people who work there keep working 50 to 70 hour weeks and sometimes crunching where those people continue to live in a world that's precarious to a degree. To, it's precarious, but in which that precarity is obscured. Like, even the world in which Telltale stays open is not a great world, except that these people keep getting paid and keep, and keep for, for now at least, get to maintain their benefits. lives and, and careers and benefits. 100%, like that is 100% better, but also continue to be ex- exploited, which is why for me the bigger conversation has to be if this is... Again, I, I see a lot of, like, the, the comment that happens a lot is, um, you know, I think this is this is true also to a point, is when crunch happens to this degree, that is the failure of management because management is setting bad timelines. Management is, is over, you know, uh, and is, is, is anticipating a larger return than is feasible, uh, you know, is is thinking about time timelines uh, irresponsibly and unrealistically and that they should, they should adjust accordingly. I think it's 100% true. I also think that this is working exactly the way it's intended to, that the games industry functions on the backs of people who move in and out of the industry at quick pace. There's super high turnover. There's, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of high-skilled employees who come in, stay at a place for a year or two or a project or two, and then move on to somewhere else or leave the industry altogether. Um, and, you know, there are, sh- you know, uh, uh, shareholders and, and you know, C-suite executives who get paid off of all that, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is the industry working as intended. I, I look at something like, 
Red Dead Redemption 2, the previews all just hit. I'm going to go see that game on Friday. I'm super curious about that game. That game, when I read the previews, when I read about how every character has a name and you can talk to every individual character and and how detailed the guns are and the, all the objects, you can walk around a store in first person and pick up apples and look at them. And all that shit sounds like a response to everything I've ever wanted in an open world game. Like, go read that piece I wrote on Shadow of Mordor and Watch Dogs from like four years ago now on Paste. This, that game, the previews of that game make it feel like a response to that. And yet, I cannot shake from my mind the idea of, like, wow, that's that must have taken so much work. And the questions that come up from thinking about the history of, of, uh, of kind of labor allegations made at Rockstar. Um, I cannot separate the game as it's being previewed from what we've heard in the past about Rockstar. Uh, and from what the sheer volume of, of detail uh, that game allegedly, supposedly has. You know, there was a tweet from, from Jack DeKeat, who, who's freelance for us in, in the past. Who, he said, if you're previewing Red Dead Redemption 2 and writing about the details, please ask yourselves what the working conditions are that produce details like that. Mm. And this is not an accusation about, about Rockstar. I don't know. We have not reported that story out. But it's one of those things where we as players have such high expectations and rarely in our day-to-day as players and consumers do we stop at all to say, what produces this thing? What degree of work comes to this? And it's the same thing that happened in the movie industry a few years ago when visual effects artists st- st- you know, stepped forward and said, hey, we aren't given credit. We aren't given royalties. We're the ones who are making you know, the huge Marvel movies with all these effects be as splashy and spectacular as they are. You don't know who we are, and we're not getting the, our, our fair share of, of pay here. Um, I, that is still happening in that industry, as far as I know. Like that, that was not resolved overnight. Um, but it's it's a similar question here, where where I think it's it's a. I'm hopeful that conversations like this one, like the work that Game Workers Unite has been doing over the last year, will push this industry into a place where, for me, it's like if I don't get my. I've said this before. If it becomes, if it's a choice between people being paid fairly and and having equitable, uh, you know, control over the work that they're that they're doing and being able to see their family and friends and being able to like work reasonable hours or me having my dream game, I'm mm-hmm. going to choose that first one every time. I'm going to yeah. choose that that every time. Yeah. I I think the thing here is that a paradigm very rarely shifts like just naturally and yeah. stays while staying in place um and usually a paradigm must break before a new one can be started or must like be brought down before a new one can be started which means and I do not say this lightly that like sacrifices are made not like intentional not like on the people who like want to be or it is un- it is deeply unfortunate that the sacrifices are being made by the workers the creators and <laughs> right. you know and it is not you know the business people but in creating you know in in because there are spaces being opened at, at with closure like with closure it creates like open space in terms right. of like what can be made anew um, that hopefully uh, this is opening up for a the start of a new sort of um, uh, standard or a well, new paradigm or a new, yeah. A question for you, though. Like, when you're saying sacrifices have to be made, right now people are being sacrificed. That's the, like, are you saying, like, yeah. this is a sacrifice? Because I would argue this is, these are people being sacrificed. But for me, I think for what you're describing, what has to happen is people have to be making 
conscious choices to sacrifice, which I agree with. Like changes to like massive structural changes to the game industry. People are going to lose their jobs before that happens. Yeah. People are going mm-hmm. to like choose to lose their jobs before they're going to walk happens. away. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least then it's conscious because right now what I see is. And again, like, this is all done with good intentions. This is not something you can point to individual actors and say, like, oh, this is your fucking fault. Yeah. Unless, you, you know, you have, like, a billion dollars, in which case it's a little bit your fucking fault. Uh, yeah. More than a little. But, like, what we see are people putting out, like, the jobs lists. Hey, we're hiring. Come over here. Like, hey, <laughs> telltale artists, love your work. Like, come come work here. Yeah. And in three years, maybe you'll, maybe it'll happen again. Probably will within sometime within the next five. Mm-hmm. And... That's what I, that's what I mean is like to break that cycle. I, I feel like it has ne- to be broken. Yeah, and you need people. You can just wait for it too. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I think the sacrifices are both. It's things that are sacrificed and sacrifices that are made um, by you know uh, active agents and sacrifices that are not chosen. Um, and and I don't mean that lightly. I don't mean, you know, like, like we can, you know, if we all just, you know, sacrifice, <laughs> then we can have the new thing. I, I really, I do take this, like, super, super seriously. Um, but the thing is, if we are, the thing that you are saying earlier, Austin, which is, like, the bigger kind of nightmare, is that the impasse continues. That we right. continue, that, uh, you know, the, the creators and workers at Telltale continue in the precarity, continue in, and, and across, and at st- other studios, I'm sure, continue in, um, you know, un- unhealthy, unsustainable working conditions, uh, and con- the, the cycle of burnout continues. If we stay yeah. in that impasse, then nothing is going to change. And so whether it is crisis um, that that incites and invokes, you know, change. Uh, crisis m- must happen. I I don't believe that paradigms just stop that we, without like, just convince ourselves. Yeah, like, oh yeah, we're just going to change everything. Yeah, that's yeah. what that is. What our current political situation is in America. If we do not have crisis, if we do not have game change. Well, sorry for the pun. <laughs> game changers. If we do not have literal <laughs> like life. Uh, just ginormous shifts then not, it, it cannot happen step by step it has to take like leaps leaps of of uh of change uh so which means like radically like having to radically adjust um to radically change the way that uh we understand and operate and act in certain uh structures i think some of that like radical adjustment involves accepting and making peace with the downsides people worry way too fucking much about when it comes to like institutional organized workers power. Um, I remember being in a room years ago with a bunch of people who whatever their time on the, on the manufacturing line, whatever it was long Mm. ago in the past, it was a room full of like people who now in their mid career consultants, managers, executives, and the subject of unions came up. And I was a few years younger back then, so people were still doing the whole, like, ah, young man, you know, you mm-hmm. just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, like, basically arguing on behalf of, again, like, why unions are necessary, why, why they're important. And everyone's like, yeah, you know, that's, that stuff's good. Like, workers should be taken care of. But then all of them were like, but, you know, 
we've all worked in union. We've all like had dealings with unions and like worked around union shops. And, you know, unions can be really bad too. They can make like life really difficult. You're trying to make like anything happen. Union can be a huge fucking roadblock. And you just don't, you just don't know that. Uh, and so it's easy to say like unions are good, but you, you don't know the downside. You don't know all the problems they cause. And the answer is like, well, problems for who I think is the most important thing to consider there. But I think there's a bias, particularly among professional classes or careers that let like the arc of that career is the professional path um, that one day you're going to be the manager and you don't want these roadblocks. You'll have the agency and you don't want to have to comply with all the shit and compliance can be annoying. Like in this old job, like, I was dealing with some of the trades uh, out in the entertainment industry. And like, I remember an hour long meeting trying to recall if a crew had fucking lunch during a shoot one day. Right. And this was this like a lot of money depended on this question as people are trying to like work through like, Hey, did you remember, did, did they take a lunch during that shoot? Did it, did it, did it, did it, was it, was it eight hours or was it six? I can't remember. And like that stuff is a headache. It's a it's a hassle, but people who imagine themselves as being like the entrepreneurs, the people in charge of things, really resent the idea that someone's going to come up and stop them, right? And say like, hold on, what the fuck are you doing? Make sure these people are getting paid. What conditions are they working in? I'm going to hold you those two things. And that means that part of what union does is to be a pain in the ass, to yeah. like slam on the brakes, to prevent you from doing shit. And occasionally, and this is the thing, this is the fear that people stoke, and this is what the people are trying to get across to me in that you know, room years ago, is that, well, if, unions are, if, if there's all these unions around, we won't be able to start as many new businesses, right? We won't have as many new projects. But what that objection amounts to is I won't be able to assume risk on behalf of other people. Like that's, that's what it comes down to. And I feel like in the, certainly in the American discourse, particularly among people who like view themselves as members of the professional class, there is a resentment of that reality. Yeah. And I think a big part of like the radical shift in thinking is, Hey, maybe someday you will be the person in the suit in the big office. Mm -hmm. Those jobs are getting harder to come by period. But like, even if you are, guess what? It's still the right thing to do. And it's in, and it's in everyone's benefit. Um, no, fuck that. It's not an everyone's benefit. It's going to come at the cost of the person in the yep. big office. And yep. we have to be okay with that. Yep. But you also have to be realistic. Like, chances are most of us at some point will, during our lives, need and wish to hell we had the protections that those pain in the ass, don't give a fuck, trade reps and union reps, <laughs> you know, bring to the table. Yeah. It's and wild I- to be here. Go ahead, Patrick. Oh, I, I was just going to say, and you know, on top of that is sort of where our responsibility falls in that. I, I was frustrated that uh, none of the Red Dead Redemption 2 previews seemed to wrestle with, uh, you know, that everyone was really excited that the testicles change depending on the temperature um, and the way the bullets load into the chamber. Which... Horse testicles, to be, to be clear. <laughs> Not the human. T- I don't know. But you missed that quote. Yeah, could be the, could be the, the human testicles, knows? too. I don't know. Like, it's not yeah. a real possibility. But yeah, specifically, it was the horse testicles. But, um, you know, at least pondering that question, including that in, you can still like the game while also raising the question at the same time. Like, 
given the history of this company, what is the cost? If you get in the room with an interview when you're talking to that, I, I don't think they did interviews with these hands-on previews, so no, this they, is not uh, 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 a specific knock on that. But when those interviews do happen, like you should be asking that question. Part of the whole reason we did that series at E3, yeah. and one of the reasons I said even the low bar of getting a boilerplate statement next year was progress is because these companies aren't even thinking the question is going to be asked. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to frame these experiences, the, our reactions to it, and keep that stuff in mind, if only to, when it's not an expose, know that companies are aware that like we are keeping that stuff top of mind, like it is thought in context with the rest of the work. Um, and when you do get a chance to try and hold those people accountable to person, that you're dedicating time to asking that question. You can ask the questions about the details, right? Like that's interesting, and like, I'm curious how all that stuff works, but if one part of your follow-ups isn't and like, and, and what sacrifice was that for the people? What were the conditions they were doing that in? They might not give you a real answer, nope. but they're not even going to think about it. They're not even going to care about it if there aren't people out there putting some measure of pressure on them. And so it, it is. It comes from all ways. It all comes from all sides. It's you know radical rethinking of how companies are structured, but there's also external pressure that is both like look, Red Dead Redemption Two is going to sell, you know, just fine regardless of what happens. It's going to be um, a massive success. Yeah, but. Um, that, you know, it is – it seems irresponsible on the part of the media to not be thinking of things like that, pushing back on things like that when you are in a position to do so. And as a consumer, if you don't buy Red Dead Redemption 2, it doesn't mean that much. But someone with media, someone with access, like it is then on your responsibility to be pushing that ball up the hill by asking those questions and seeing what kind of answers um, you get and thinking about these games with that uh, frame of mind. Uh, so, yeah. Totally. Totally. I, I, you know, I guess if, if I want to leave this on one thing, it's that I think it can be it can be easy to hear what we're saying and hear things like radical shift and, you know, becoming active in a crisis and, and sacrifice and me saying I'd give up my dream game to make sure there's a world in which people are treated equitably and create a sort of bad faith straw man version of what we're saying that says like, waypoint only likes indie games only the only games waypoint likes is games made by two people one or two people who only work 12 hours a week which you know good on you if you make a dope game by working 12 hours a week. <laughs> uh it's tough like uh, and, and and speaking as someone who both here at waypoint and my personal side projects also absolutely knows what it's like to put in extra amounts of time you know i, I i've said before that one of the big projects for waypoint this year that i'm happy we've managed is that we've drastically cut down over time from where we were the year we launched and and, and you know for the months the, the months after we launched in the year that followed um things have gotten much better around that because we made consciously having yes. each of us call each other out when we're going yes. outside of those boundaries within reason knowing people right. are going to have to put in extra hours there are some certain projects, projects blah 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 right. things are going to happen but when we find patterns when yeah. we find people Austin, log off jesus yeah, Christ. yes Christ. and yeah. i do yeah. i do yeah. now and that is the difference well yeah, and, and, I, I and we've off. tried to create just, a culture where yes. We're, look, I can't control what you actually do, but I can control that I, I can tell you you're doing mm. the wrong thing. It's, I close my work email at the very yeah. least. I was sure. having this conversation um, with my partner, actually. We were, we were taking a walk, and I started thinking about uh, – there's someone I know. like So uh, Sham Sarjani over at Paradox. Mm-hmm. Like clockwork, uh, in Sweden, they make you take a long vacation. Like It's like Swedish July, right? That's sort of standard practice. Uh, people get a lot of time off in July, and like, what a great phrase! Yeah, uh, and like mm-hmm. every July, at some point, maybe he didn't do it this year, but like I think every other year, I've seen Shams, who's like uh, an executive over a Paradox, at some point, like kind of complain about like, damn, like 
you know, it's kind of annoying that like I can't. I want to go back to work, and and they're not. They're they're you know they're not really letting me. They're, they're you're kind of you're kind of chased off and, and told like go take your vacation. And it occurred to me, there's a lot of people, particularly like again, sort of this culture of work that um, you know, who are you to tell me I can't work, right? Like who are you right. to who are you to say that like. Uh, you know, I can't come in and pursue my passion project and all that stuff. And, and one, you're doing it for your coworkers, right? You might be the most motivated motherfucker in the world. You might love what you're doing. Not everyone yeah. is going to be in the same shoes. Not everyone's going to be on the same page at the same time. And so, like, you just build in this expectation so that if you do need to recharge, you get it. You know, there's no pre- – there's, no, there's not this weird, like, pressure by example of somebody being like, I'm here at dawn and I leave well after dark every night – because I just love crushing it, which right. is huge. Like, like let's be clear that is this is a huge part of the video game industry. Like, there have been various studios have tried, uh, let's make games without producers, and like right. the result of that is often that you get lots of people staying when they don't need to. I have, yeah, I've, I've heard, uh, you know, big projects coming out this fall in which like crunch was happening really early amongst people who had nothing to do because they were working on the online yes. components of that game, but the expectation was. Well, if everyone else is staying, like, you should stay, too. Um, it's like, well, go get your cot and figure it out. Um, yeah. And, like, that is pervasive in video games. Um, and I'm sure just we, in heard... crunch culture, you know, in technology, yes. uh, everywhere. But the idea that, like, you need people, and this is part of a union, this is, or this is part of just a culture of, like, accountability in an, in, in an office is, is telling people, like, to go home. You need to go home. And when you when everyone goes home, that's, I think, what this, you know, Swedish July accomplishes. When everyone goes home, then you remove that as, an, as, a, as, a, uh, as a reason for someone to come in and work. It's like, you a just can't. A point of comparison. Yeah, right. it's gone. Well, and the, the other thing, like, and again, like, I like Shams. I also like giving Shams shit. Uh, so the, the, there's a bit of that here as well. But, like, the fact that you're like kind of burning to get back to work that you're like, damn, like they won't like I'm stuck on vacation here and I want to work. That's part of why we do this. Like I fucking love waypoint. I love working here. I love hanging with you guys. I love shooting the shit with y'all. If somebody came and was like, Hey Rob, you want to take a month off and just like not check in? Hell yeah. yeah. I would be gone in a shot. Like if somebody was like, how is there a do, beer in my hand already? All you have to do <laughs> he had is that kneecap. <laughs> all you have to do is kneecap Austin. I still might do it. Okay, I still listen, might. Yeah. Like, it would be nice to see your face at least, yeah. Rob. If you came all the way down here just to kneecap me and take a month for you know what? You go to that pizza <laughs> no, place. No, look, it. I'm a man of honor. Like, I'll do I it to your face. It. All right, I appreciate uh, it. Look into your heart, Rob. Look into your heart. <laughs> but no, but like, the thing is, th- that's the that's the thing. Like, no matter how passionate you are. That is also a resource worth, like, conserving and protecting. I think that's the that's yeah. another ad- in that better world. What that looks like is you don't even come close to burnout. You don't ever like maybe you don't hit that right. point where you're like, man, I just want some fucking time off. I'm living for the weekend. Maybe you stay in that place where you remember like, I would love to get back to my work and love to get back to like collaborating with my colleagues. And if you can create that economy, that kind of like structure. Right. Then I think you've got a work life that's worth living and not one that just steals from your actual life. And so like that gets back to where I was trying to go before when I was talking about 
the sort of straw man version of what we're saying is like it can sound like what we're saying is you cannot make games like Red Dead Redemption. What I'm actually saying is let's remake the world such that we can make games so amazing that we cannot even conceptualize them yet. The world as it stands has hard limits on what can be done because it is organized in such a way that the people who make things, and I don't just mean video games, I mean everything, are so alienated from the things they are making. They are not getting uh, cuts back from the profit that the things that they make uh, derive. Uh, they are not part often of the the planning around what they're making, what, what it is. You know, again, speaks back to, to Rob working on the line in a factory, certainly. Um, they are not often tied to the messaging around how a thing is sold, as we saw with the Deus Ex um, uh, Mankind Divided a few years ago. Um, and as we see again and again, as really interesting projects in video games and media in general are often sold to the widest possible audience in, with, with the, the most uh, uh, insulting uh, marketing speak. Um, but there is another world. There could be a world in which those things, those relationships between the things that we make and us as the people who make them are intimate and are deeply and there's still there will still be moments in which people get exploited and there will still be moments at which we need to take in a take a step forward and and remake the world again like i i, I am a firm believer in utopia as process not as stasis uh, i don't think that there is a better world in which we snap our fingers and we we bring out the guillotines and everything's better after that like i firmly believe in that utopia is a mindset and a and a process it's an ongoing decision to continue remaking the world in an image that is more equitable for everyone and in that world i can't even fucking uh, let me tell you it's the horse balls they're amazing in that world that world blows red dead redemption 2 out of the fucking water my guy it's just it's temperature it's it's geography it's everything they just adjust to everything and it's not just though like altitude. everything is just altitude exactly denver horse balls different situation see in, in my utopia the person being told like hey you need to animate these temperature-sensitive horse balls. Yeah, we don't get those horse balls in that world because that person turns to the, turns to the supervisor <laughs> and is like, "You out of your fucking mind? Fuck you!" <laughs> no, but but I, I think we get the horse balls because we get someone who's like, "Man, I'm gonna knock these fucking horse balls yeah. out of the park." You know, um, and maybe we don't. We, yeah. we genuinely. Get I'm excited to get back like to work after my month long break and work on those horse balls. Cannot fucking wait. Um, <laughs> Can't wait to know. drop. Them. Great. Good. Oh my god. <laughs> uh-huh. We we dropping boys. I got to go. This is not Where are we dropping? <laughs> uh yikes. So yeah, I think that that is that is my big takeaway. I genuinely think the sorts of it, and I think we see we see bits of those games in in independent game development and in alternative game development. Um there was a game that I I linked in here, I guess uh god like a week a week ago, something like that called like um God, what is it called? I need to find it. It's an itch. It's an, it's on itch. It's not an itchio an itchio game, but it is. It was on itch.io, and now I cannot find. Oh, here it is. It's called September 1999. It's like a five minute long game that is like a. It's it's very PT like in its presentation, and that it's like photorealistic with kind of a found footage vibe. Um, mm. It was made by like not one person. 98D make made it, um, and it's this like truly terrifying five minute game and it felt like a rupture into a world where games were different we're like oh yeah I, sp I spent three bucks on this thing and it's and it's just this really haunting creepy patrick you should go play this game you should search yeah, our, it's been on my list 
Uh, it'll take you five. You can play it right after this in five minutes. It's worth doing because it's fucking creepy. Um, and like things like that make me so excited about the world of games because it feel they feel like something is changing at the at the kind of base level, at the very foundational level of the organization of the world in which more people can make games now than ever. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's great, but, you know, it is it is a step in the right direction, at least. It has to start somewhere. And, like, the fact yes. that we're having these conversations, the fact that Game Workers Unite exists, the fact that one of the prominent conversations post-release or post-closure of, of Telltale is, like, wait, what the fuck went wrong? Why did this yeah. go wrong? How can it be better? I mean, this stuff takes time. It takes decades. It takes a generation, you know. Um, but, like, the the existence of the conversation is pr- more than what we had five years ago. Totally. And so, you know, you start the foundation somewhere and you build on top of that. Totally. Uh, we should have taken a break like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> we did not do that. Unfortunately, let's take a super quick break right now uh, and then come back and very quickly hit some some stuff before we have to wrap up. Because I know, Kato, you there are some people coming into that room in just about 15 minutes. So we're going to talk about games super quick. No waypoints this week because we're continuing the, the show waypoints. We're just going to do like waypoint size game talk. So okay. BRB. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we are back. Video games. Let's talk about them. I'll go first. Forza Horizon 4. That game is really pretty. It has cars. The seasons are great. Uh, the cars feel really good to handle. Ooh. It's wild that every time I play a game like The Crew 2 or whatever that Need for Speed was last year, I go, maybe I don't like driving games anymore. And then I play a Forza Horizon, and I'm like, man, driving games are actually extremely good. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it. I've only put like four or five hours in, so for, eh, maybe more than that. I'm up to winter. You kind of starts in summer, and then you work your way through summer, autumn, winter. Um, and so the, it's the last the, of us of... Yeah, The Last of Us of open world driving games. Yes, exactly. Um, There are stunt races, and I think one of my favorite things is so there's like a there's a like a light story mode in which you are literally a driver at this this kind of car festival, Uh, and there's a running theme of a Horizon Festival is like a music and car festival that is the the you know it's a Horizon. I take this canon serious, Ella. Yes, it's right. Exactly. Thank you. Get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> you, um, you, there's a great bit where like you you picked up to be a stunt driver. Rob's walked away from the microphone, which is great. Uh, and in the first set, in the first set of missions, he's opening a window now. He's standing near a giant plant. I think he's just just checking in with the world outside. Um, which is maybe he's, there's he's trying to imagine a better world, a different uh, world, a different world. Um, he, the, really, the point I want to make is my favorite thing so far has been the first stunt race is this big thing where there's like a plane chasing you and it's like a big action movie, and the second one is like get in this vintage race car and drive by the ocean, and all of like the direct 
the, the director for the movie is like, listen, man, I don't fucking know. I, I know it doesn't seem like a lot of stunts. The stunt today is just drive this cool looking car near the ocean and look cool. Like, yeah, I'm on it. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'm going to keep putting time into that. Uh, Patrick, what have you been playing? That was a long... Rob is finally... Rob's You're back, Rob? Yeah, back. Welcome back. <laughs> Patrick. Uh... Yeah, uh, very quickly, um, I finished The, the Messenger uh, over the weekend, uh, a game that, uh, as I wrote on, on Twitter, uh, I thought had a like all-time awful start. I think the first three hours I'm of the game with are, yeah. are rough. Um, uh, I, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast that I don't have a whole lot of affinity for Ninja Gaiden, not because I don't like it. I just was not part of my growing up. And so, like, this, you hate like, the classics. Wrote... I got it. Yeah, exactly. Got me. <laughs> Damn. Um, it, it just felt like a very rote action platformer that like wasn't challenging me in a lot of ways that I found to be particularly compelling. And then in the sort of like there's a, a turn um, that happens for like the, the, the latter two thirds of the game in which it sort of opens up. It's more of a Metroid style uh, game. And I found that to be like has its own faults, but like was very compelling. And, and, and I really enjoyed that like 10 hours or so that I spent going through that. And when I tweeted that, the response I got was super fascinating because I say it's split 50-50 where a lot of people felt exactly the same way I did. And then there was a whole nother half that were like, hey, actually, when the game made the twist, I hated it, actually. And it became a game I didn't want to play. I wanted the Ninja Gaiden game and then to just keep expanding upon that. Um, And so it's interesting where I'm advocating for people to show patience and get through the twist and for a lot of people, when they got to the twist, they, they wanted the game they were playing before. And that game, in a lot of ways, goes goes away or at least is downplayed in favor of different elements. And so it's just fascinating to see that's because I just did not expect that reaction at all. I thought everyone was on the same page as me. Um, and so, yeah, it's something I'm going to try and put a couple of words behind because it's just the, the game's choice to make that twist uh, worked for me, but I guess I didn't quite consider what it'd be like if actually you wanted the game it was pitching you before right. that. Um, like you're not, you're genuinely saying, what if your taste was just different? Yeah, and you had this really dope thing, and then it got swept away. Yeah, and that's what the game does. And yeah. I, it, for me, it does it in favor of something I enjoyed more. But for a at least not significant, you know, not insignificant number of people, they preferred the original one. And actually, there were people who were like, hey, I kind of put the game down after that, which is just. It's just interesting, like reactions. Yeah. Hey, people have different feelings on things, so uh, that's special. I liked it. I, um, I I enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad I played it, and I'm glad I finished it. Natalie, what have you been playing? Uh, I'm playing Undertale still. Hell yeah! For the first time, I, no spoilers. We were, no spoilers. I was in the lobby in lobby one with you and Kato the other day, and we were both like, "Oh, what are you playing?" And you were like, "Uh," and you turned up the volume, and we both heard it was the the fight against. Uh, we heard it, which fight it was. And we're like, "Oh, is that blah?" And you were like, "Yeah." Like, "Oh, yeah, it's so good." The music in that game was just like so memorable. It is. It. Um, I'm surprised how much it's like starting to. It does a really good job of repeating music uh, yeah. in a way that creates an association with that song or with that tone um, that keeps past things that have happened in the game fresh in your mind, Um, which, you know, playing a game, you can, like, a lot of, when you move forward, a lot of things in the past can get lost because you, there's just so much, especially with narrative and story, you know, like, for me, I have a hard time keeping track of everything and keeping everything in my brain, uh, so having those like audio kind of cues to to bring things back 
uh, is really neat, and I've been having I'm having a really hard time beating a boss right now, but I'm hoping to Story get through it Story of Undertale. Soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that you get through because it's it's a super great game. Uh, yeah. I, I, for people listening who have not played that game, because I know that I almost didn't play it when it first came out because the fandom roar about how good it was was so off-putting to me because yeah. uh, not because and i'm not saying you can't be loud about the things you love in life but sometimes it can be it can feel like there's such a pressure put on you because if, what if i just don't like it and then i feel like an asshole and i can't talk to people about it i'm in almost like in a safer position to have never played it yeah um there's like a reason i don't play the a lot of there's a reason i don't play a lot of video games there's like like there are games that i do not play because like i know my tastes i've played uncharted one and two i don't need to play uncharted three and four because i'm gonna be the person who's like yeah it didn't do it for me i'm sorry um yeah uh, and there's so many other good things to play in it but 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 now that we're a couple years removed give undertale a shot maybe yeah it's good i also super quick played uh the dark souls remastered uh online beta oh, on right. switch nice i died a million times and then i Hell quit yeah. so welcome to dark souls <laughs> can't wait to do this all over again and cry <laughs> Oh lord, that game! That game. I got exciting. invaded in like the first thirty seconds that I loaded in, like my first time, and I was like, "Hello!" And they just killed me, and I was so angry. I was like, "I'm just trying to swipe." I don't and know. You wanted. I, I, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to link you to a story I wrote about when I played through Demon Souls. Um, I streamed my entire experience with that, and I was stalked by one invader in particular. Oh my god, Hato. <laughs> Something That's I can't so his good. name his name Fuck. escapes me. Um, but there was someone who and I actually think he had a history of stalking Giant Bomb. Uh, I think he stopped either Brad or Vin, someone. I think he it was he was not his first rodeo. Um, but he constantly hounded me, and I refused to uh, like turn off the internet. Like I was like, no, this mm-hmm. is this is part of my experience. It's part of my life. Um, but he was my eternal torturer, and uh, it's a very <laughs> memorable story in retrospect. Less fun uh, at the time. Um, yeah, but yeah I can it's, uh, the invading aspect is a it's so down I forgot that you've only played Bloodborne and the invading part is basically non-existent in that game because it's participatory you have to yeah. invite which I like inviting cooperation then you can be invaded but you can play that game solo very easily whereas in Dark Souls like it's just a lot and now because the community community is going to be so fresh there's just going to be invaders all over the place which yeah. in a way sounds exciting for me less exciting uh, for you, potentially. Yeah. There are ways to you just never be a human. You know, just always be undead and you'll be fine. It'll, we'll talk about it. What? We'll, I'll give you some... Don't yeah, worry about it. You know what? Yeah. Don't worry about it. Huh? Rob? Yeah. What have you been playing? Uh, so this weekend, I played a little bit of uh, War of the Ring. I taught it to a good, good friend. Good Nick from the Subterfuge Oh, good game. Nick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, friend of the site. Yeah, friend of the site. Salt of the earth. Good fellow all around. Um, Why does it sound like you're about to twist a knife in his back? Uh, well, I don't know. I, that's my question. Did I stab him in the back? Or okay. did I teach him a game and a valuable lesson about how to play it well? <laughs> uh, so War of the Ring is, for my money, one of the best board games ever made. I mean, it's a brilliant uh, war game. And every playthrough is like your own telling of the Lord of the Rings books. And one of the things in this game is that while the map you're playing on, uh, the sort of the military front, is very, like, the game's all in front of you. It follows, you know, standard rules of strategy. It's very readable. 
you hold mm-hmm. cards in your hand that can tilt the odds pretty radically ah. in your favor in different places, different contexts. One of the things that happens over the course of the game is the uh, shadow player brings out Saruman. And Saruman gives you an extra action dice each turn, and that basically lets you make another move every turn. It's very powerful to bring sure. Saruman out. Saruman, as you will remember, is based at Isengard. And you might recall, like, the way Saruman goes down is that he, you know, clear cuts a forest that turns out to be full yep. of living trees, like, not living trees, uh, like sentient trees. And they come, <laughs> like, the ends awaken, and they fuck up his shit. Yeah. There's two cards in this deck that the, uh, that the good players have that basically, like, let you roll for the ends. And... It's a devastating attack. Like, they are very powerful, and they can basically, like, wipe out everything at Isengard in the space of a heartbeat. I had two of these cards that I've been holding for the entire game. <laughs> Nick has never played this game before. He doesn't know. Like, I told him, like, hey, like, you know, there's some... Careful about Saruman. Like, there's some landmines in the happened. deck. There's some landmines right. in the deck for him. So you should watch out for that. But then I also made sure he knew how to bring out Saruman. Uh, uh-huh, I was like, hey, uh-huh. uh, you should make sure just, um, you know, just if you consider, remember, you can bring out Saruman now. Uh, so I sat on these two cards that I got early in the game for like several turns, and he went all in on Helm's Deep, and it was glorious. Like, he played this card that like made battle way more lethal, and his idea was he was going to end the siege by storming Helm's Deep. Uh-huh. Instead, his entire army died. And I had one soldier left, but if you lose your entire army, all your leaders, a.k.a. your Nazgul, and any characters on the the spot, a.k.a. the Witch King, die. And they're gone. And Isengard was empty. And so my one surviving soldier just starts walking from Helm's Deep (sighs) to Isengard. And he's like, oh shit, I should probably... (laughs) So he garrisons Isengard, he puts two troops up, and he's like, great, I can like ride out a siege. Ants don't give a shit about your siege rolls. Ants don't give a shit. Ants are coming no. straight the fuck in. They're big yeah. people. So I play the first card. He survives the attack. He's like, yes, made it. And I was like, okay, but also that card allows you to change and chain another card to it. The ants are still attacking. Horns <laughs> is the name of the card. And they killed all the troops. They stormed Isengard and killed Saruman. And then a turn later, I blitzkrieged uh, Moria and basically won That's the war it. as the free people on the military front, which is very rare. Wow. You don't even need Frodo. No, don't even need. Just, you know, Frodo, you've done enough. The fuck out of like, here. You keep the ring. That's all you need. Put your can. feet up. Relax. <laughs> uh, we got you know this. Go get, go get a little place by the marshes, you know? Yeah. Like, open a bakery or something. I don't so know. So, <laughs> my view is we had a good first game. I taught him the game, and I taught him some of the car driven dynamics. Of this beautiful ah, strategy I game see. that is War of the Ring. Um, there's another view that maybe I exploited his lack of knowledge about the game. You are Austin and I am Nick. And this is Bloodborne. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, That's that was my weekend. I, I'm a good I'm coach, asleep. is what you're saying. <laughs> I slept like a baby. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Uh, last little recommendation here. Last note before before we wrap up. Uh, Heat Signature, which is one of my favorite games last year. Uh, it's been a year since that game came out. Um, and later this week, there is a big patch that's hitting. You can already play it if you go into Steam and go into your like the properties for the game and 
pick the next version uh, in your like betas or whatever. Um, but there's a ton of new stuff in this new update that is all super fucking cool. If you don't remember what that game is, you can go to our, our YouTube channel. I think there's an, uh, an archive of a stream that I did of it there. Um, it's like a space heist game. You're a, you're a space heister. You, you, you get into a little tiny pod and then crash into big spaceships and then take care of their, their guards and steal cool things that have names like the Castle Rose apparatus or whatever. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's super rad. And the update is filled with like new enemy types, um, like all new AI subroutines, a lot of tweaks to the way the defensive AI works so that characters are a little, so the missions are like way more dynamic, um, all sorts of like new types of, of missions and, and items and a bunch of other stuff that are all character traits, which is like my favorite one. Cause it usually just be like, oh yeah, you're a person who has a mission and then you go do these other missions until you can afford to go do your big, you know, proc gen mission. But now maybe you get a, the trait that says like, you're dying which means you have 10 minutes to live and get all of the shit done that you need to get done with that character. Or, or you have, um, you have frail, which means that you can't do, um, you can't do any lethal damage instantly kills you and you don't get a chance to like revive yourself the way you normally do. Cause you have a bunch of space technology. It's super cool. Uh, so, so go check that out for sure. I think it's going to do it for us today. Unfortunately, we did not have time to get into the question bucket because we have someone coming in to take a look at the studio and hopefully rewire it so that we can podcast better. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Natalie? At Natalie Watson. How about you, Patrick? At Patrick Klepek. Rob. At Rob Zachney. As always, you can find Waypoint at twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice, uh, and over at waypointadvice.com. If you have comments, you can send those over to gaming at vice.com. You can also put questions there, and ideally you put question in the subject. That way we know that it's a question, and it shows up on our little bucket where it says question, our question bucket, if you will. Uh, you can also go talk to us over at discourse.zone or forum.waypointadvice.com. Uh, and as always, shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Danielle isn't here today, so I need somebody else to help take me out. Who's got something? Rob Zachney. Ethically contracted horse temples. Peace. I had something. Yeah, yeah, you sure did. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.